From The Advocate magazine, this is LGBTQ and A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and today I'm talking to Alaska Thunderfuck. We talk about how much her drag has changed over the years, as well as the art of drag in general. We also discuss her new album called Amethyst Journey, and what a challenge that album has been, particularly the visual presentation of it. I wanted to know if she was going to be performing the new music in drag, the cover art is a little ambiguous, and the answer was more complicated than I thought, which I think is pretty cool. So that is coming up. Now, don't forget that we are doing a live show in New Orleans over Labor Day weekend. We're doing a big one-night-only queer pod fest with us, Food for Thought, and some really, really cool special guests that we're going to announce next week, which I'm so excited about. There's info on the Ace Hotel website as well as a link in the show notes here. The show is September 1st at 6 p.m. That's a Saturday. If you're going to be in New Orleans, I really hope to see you there. And then as always, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Subscribe, rank us five stars, leave a comment. When you do those things, it helps new people find our show. So big thank you for that. All right, let's get to the interview. Without further ado, here's Alaska. So let's jump in. You've been doing drag for over 15 years. Well, about... I've been doing drag since, uh, well, I mean, time immemorial, really, because when I was a little kid, I would like dress up in grandma's clothes and parade around so but like actual like drag like i'm gonna perform i'm gonna do a drag show that was like that was like 10 years ago the wait 11 11 yeah okay i'm older than i used to be we can round up <laughs> but drag as an art form and in terms of exposure has really changed a lot in that period of time specifically yeah how has your own personal drag changed oh my god i mean a lot it's all it always is and, like, it's crazy because when I first started, it was right when the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race happened. That was, like, the first year I was doing drag. So, like, I've grown up with the show, and they've just sort of been intertwined. And, like, it's, like, a special, weird, like, blessed thing that I'm really grateful about. But, yes, of course they've changed. We're all changing all the time. You described your early drag once as gender fuckery with you swinging your dick around. Yeah. Is that an exaggeration or are you actually swinging your dick around? Oh, yeah, all the time. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm such a nudist. So it's like, why wouldn't I carry that onto the stage? But after a certain point, it was like, everyone's seen it and it's not really shocking anymore. So actually, like, you know, other things are more shocking. Yeah. I didn't know if you had to, like, clean your act up for, like, Drag Race. Well... It was definitely like I brought like I I was swinging my dick around on Drag Race on season five. I was like I was like I'm here and I'm like so excited to be here. I just want to like just get naked and just be like in this moment, this place. You know that definitely informed the whole thing, the whole experience. Yeah, I mean, drag just used to be only by the community for the community, Mm -hmm. right? And that has changed so much. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's good or bad. I just, I, it just blows my mind that there are kids nowadays who do drag and who want to be drag queens when they grow up. I know, right? I love that. It's wild. When did you first realize that this was a career that you could do? I think I first realized there was something to it when um, season two of Drag Race came out and I saw 
what happened to the numbers on Facebook with the girls like Raven and Morgan, who were girls I was working with in West Hollywood. I was like, I was like the, you know, the mutant freak running around. Uh, they were like the pretty, like polished girls. And, and I saw after they were on the show, I saw their like social media numbers. And this was like the beginning of social media, but I saw it like go up significantly. And I was like, I want that, whatever that is, I want it. And that's drag race. And so I, I like really started earnestly trying to like be a part of it. And you've been on the show and you've been a runner up and you've also won all stars. Yeah. What is, did that feel different to win? Because like the exposure, like you're saying is so important and what you do with that exposure, did that matter more than actually winning? I was, I mean, it'll mess with your head. It's like, it's like the, the ring, like Lord of the Rings, like Gollum. Like I, I was completely Gollum and I was like obsessed with wanting to win. And just, I felt like there was so much pressure on myself and from everywhere. Like I felt like everyone was expecting me to win. So I was like going in with all of that like stuff when I should have just gone in and like been fierce and had a good time and I probably would have won anyway. Oh, so you're saying you did not enjoy it? Really? I was putting so much pressure on myself. No, I, I could have had a really nice time with my sisters and like had a nice time experiencing it, but I was so focused on winning that it was like, it kind of like soured the experience. And then all of that came out anyway, when I had, you know, the tantrum heard around the world. Uh, and, and I don't know. I think it would have been more fun if I just had more fun. But what about after? Like after you won, did, did that change things? Or was it just the exposure more than winning? I don't... For me, the experience isn't that different. Like not winning and winning. It really isn't. I think it's different for other people. And then it becomes like... They see it as like, oh, you're the winner. So I want to like make special, like, uh, I, I want to like bend over backwards and like, you know, so, so like for other people, I think it means more than, but the experience of having both, I'm like, it's kind of the same. That's interesting. Yeah. While we're speaking about drag race, there's a big conversation right now about racism and how different mm. queens of color are being treated. Yeah. Is that something that the queens are talking about amongst themselves? Yes. And especially, like, I was really grateful that The Vixen especially was on season 10 because um, she was having conversations about race, which is, like, it, you can't ignore it, in, especially in the drag community, in the drag race world. Like, it's a, it, it's a thing. And so, like, I'm glad that these conversations are being had. And it's a thing. How do you see it, like, playing out from your vantage point? Well, I don't think it's an insidious thing that's done intentionally by the show or by anybody, but it's something latent. There's something to that. What is it? I don't know. Maybe it's the mainstream media's influence. I don't know. I think we can agree there's racism. I also think that we can agree that's not just in drag race and drag queens. It's everywhere, right? No, yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> this is breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. Uh, if queens are talking about it, are they talking about ways that they can combat it? I wish I knew. I Like, I wish I knew more. And, you know, as like a, a thin white person, 
I don't know that it's my place to say, but I will say that like it's really good that the conversations are being had because that's how you like shed light on it. I asked just because I um I used to shy away from talking about like racism. Then yeah. I figured out. Then I realized that well, it's never going to change if only black people are talking about it or people of sure. color. Yeah. Do you feel competitive with other queens when you see the? Okay, there's. I heard this podcast once, and it's the. I listen to Oprah's podcast sometimes, and the person was talking about there's like your your like small self, and then there's like your big self, or like your your lower self and your higher self. So like, of course, my lower self gets jealous when I see you know these huge arenas being filled by Bianca Del Rio. Like, of course my lower self gets jealous. And like, there's that tinge of like, but like my, my greater self, which is the real self is look, we're all doing the same thing. Like, and if you compare, then you will be in despair. And that's the tea. <laughs> so, like, we're all doing our own thing. And I always think about the, um, I always think about, like, does Rihanna sit around and, like, think, oh, Madonna sold more tickets in a theater than me? No, like, we're all, we're all drag queens that we're, like, chipping away at it. And we're, like, making, making a name for drag in this world. So, you know, that, that's good. That's a great point because beyond RuPaul and maybe, Dame Edna and like Lady Bunny, there aren't other drag queens who can be role models for you who have like mainstream success to follow, like that yeah. roadmap. That's kind of exciting, I guess. Yeah. It's like the Wild West. You have been very successful. You're in the new Sharknado movie, you have a new album coming out, you've done music videos. Um, what ha- what have you not done that you want to do? Uh <laughs> I don't know. Like, how lucky am I? Like it's it boggles my mind because Drag is special because, like you said, and I think that's part of it, there isn't a roadmap. So we're sort of, uh, we get to dip our toes in everything. I get to do music and I get to do graphic design and merchandising and acting and singing. So like, and like work with visual artists and directors and make videos and like, like it's, I don't know that there's anything that I haven't done that I would like to do. I've gotten to do a little bit of everything. With you have this new album coming out, uh, Amethyst Journey. Mm-hmm. On the cover of it, you are not in drag. Are you going to be performing the album in, in drag? drag? Am I in drag? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's an interesting interpretation. I well, no, it's a question because, and like visually presenting for this album has been really confronting for me because I'm like, at what point is at what point am I in drag? Because what's real and what's fake. I am wearing makeup on the album cover. Uh, I am wearing hair on the album cover. So it's like I'm wearing a dress on the album cover. So it's like, where is the line? And I don't know the answer. It's very difficult to explain what drag is. I know. You don't have to wear a wig. You don't have to wear a dress. And you just need to like it's hint. ephemeral and it's magic, and I don't. Yeah. So I don't know. Oh, so you just need to like hint at femininity. That's like the only rule. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, that is fascinating that you are not saying like d- d- like definitively that you are or are not in drag on that album cover. I don't know. And like we were we were filming the music video for Aliens, and I was sort of freaking out. I was feeling like Frankenstein. I was like. Cause I was like, I, I want, 
I wanted this visually to be more exposed and more vulnerable. So uh, we were getting ready and we were putting on our makeup and I was like, at a certain point, I was like, it's too much. Like, it's too much. It's, it's, and so I wiped it all off and I was like, let's go, let's go do it. And that felt more right, but it still felt really exposed and really vulnerable because drag is such armor. It's like, it, it's armor against that scalding light of the camera and the, and the flash bulbs and you're protected. So like th- this project visually is like, um, and even musically is like, Oh my God, I'm really like raw, like out there. It's, but what as an artist, aren't you supposed to do that? You're supposed to be scared. Yeah. You're supposed to put yourself out there. So it sounds like that's a big, like mental adjustment performing the new music. Yeah. And we haven't really we haven't really ventured into performing the new music yet because it's still and it's it's still like an embryo in the womb. So it's it's like it is a journey and I don't know what I don't know what the performance is going to look like. But you will be doing a tour for this though, right? Yes, I would like to do that next year. And so compared to your other music, we know songs like Anus and Stun. I know. Uh, this is a black and white difference. How do you describe the music to people listening? This is like, so um, normal Alaska music is like sativa and this album is like indica. So it's not like, it's not like, whoa, I want to get turned up and go crazy and get wasted at the club. It's like, I want to like put it in my ears or like light incense or like draw a bath and like I don't like meditate and like sit still with that. So for the music you wrote that we believe that the queer community is a model for our global extended family. Yeah. Can you talk about that and like what that means to you? That was that was Jeremy's line. So he could really he could talk to you for hours about Oh, because the album is Alaska this. and Jeremy, your co uh creator. Yes. Yeah. And that's really important because his influences i mean this is like born out of our friendship together and we've grown spiritually uh, together we've been friends for 15 years so um we discovered what meditation is together like we discovered like that there's something more than just like ego and like we discover like spirituality together so this is like this is like a culmination that speaks to all of that. Wow, have those been recent discoveries? Well, I was dating this like older man years and years ago. It was when I first moved to LA and um and he gave me a book by Pema Chodron and I read it and I I don't like to throw around the phrase life-changing but it really was because it was the first time I saw that like the person thinking the thoughts is not who I am is not who we are it's we're we're step, we're behind that and there's this brain constantly going and it's wanting and it's doing things it's always wanting to do the next thing but like when you meditate you you sit still and you realize those thoughts are just they're passing like clouds. That sounds like it connects directly to what you were saying about competition too. Yeah. People can live their entire lives being ruled by that and being ruled by ego. But, but you have to realize that's not, 
that's not the real you. That's a small you. Are you a daily meditator? Oh my gosh, I wish I was. I should be. I'm all it's no, it's like going to the gym. It's like it's an exercise and I know it's good for me and I know I should be doing it every day. But no, I do it um I try to do it when I can. Tell yeah. me this. You've said that as you've gotten older, people you've been attracted to have expanded in terms of genders and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, how do you identify? I don't know. As a person. I just feel like pansexual is a very trendy word nowadays. I didn't know if you like had the pan label. I don't know. I mean, I as I get older, I'm more like, I am more open to the idea of like, I could, I mean... I have a partner right now and I'm very happy with him. And in another world, like as I get older, I'm like, I could, I could see myself with a woman and building a life together. And it's sort of like, it's less about like parts. It's not, I love hearts, not parts. Hi. So are do you just, are you with the, the queer label? I don't want to be obsessed with labels. I'm I like curious. queer. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Queer is definitely, definitely the cue. Yeah. I like that. Tell me this, has doing drag had an effect on how you experience your own gender and masculinity? Yeah. Yeah. It It's always been like, I feel more masculine in drag than I do out of it. And so it was always like, it was like, for, there have been times where it's like, I only get called ma'am out of drag and I only get called sir in drag. So it's like, that's kind of a mind fuck a little bit. Is it a power thing? Because you're like powerful in, in drag? Well, I I think it's like, I think it is cultural somewhat because really drag is like, oh, I'm putting on women's clothing, but it's just clothing that the people who assign it as being for women is the culture and society so when i'm diving into that i can't go to a store and buy girls clothes because they don't fit my body i'm a giant person i can't go and buy women's shoes in a shoe store like i don't even go in the shoe section because it just breaks my heart because the shoes are so beautiful but they don't fit me so like i'm too giant for these clothes how tall are you i'm six one. Oh, and even that makes you too big for them because you're they a, you have a very slender form they just don't look right so i have to everything is like has to be made for me and like the shoes you have to get from the special the special big girl shops um so like that i mean that that makes me feel like manly because i'm like oh these the if i put on women's clothes like they're tiny and they don't fit and i'm like bulging out of them like the hulk so but when i wear men's clothes i also can't really i i always had a really hard time shopping for clothes as a kid because they were only in large sizes in like western pennsylvania and i'm like like you said i'm like really slender and i always have been so so yeah, it has been like a part of the journey. I've never heard anyone say that. That's fascinating about f- trying on the women's clothes and it's not fitting and you just feel more manly. Yeah, like a giant. Yeah. Do you still design <laughs> the clothes that you're wearing, the dresses, or do you just have designers and do you trust them and like them? I work really closely with Dallas Coulter and she lives in um, San Francisco. And thank God for her because 
she works with a lot of the queens and I don't know what we would be without her and I don't know what Drag Race would look like if it wasn't for her because especially these latest seasons, it's like a Dallas culture fashion show because she's behind a lot of the clothes that you're seeing. So, um, I'm, I'm just really grateful to have a relationship with her and like, I'll draw a picture and then take a picture with my phone and send it to her. And I'm like this, we need this. And she makes it happen. Is she straight? Um, I don't, I don't know that I would, I don't know that I would use that designation. Okay. It's just fascinating that this one woman is having such an effect on like modern current drag culture. Yeah. She's really great. And she works like a a beast. Sometimes I see you in drag and I'm surprised by how like sexy you look as a woman, to be completely honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is surprising. (laughs) It's amazing. There is an element to that. I mean, I like I like that. It's sort of like Alaska's like an alien who believes that she is the prettiest woman on earth. She thinks she's Marilyn Monroe. She really does. But she's like eight feet tall. <laughs> Did you develop a character as Alaska or is it just kind of like you? I feel like it. she like channeled herself into me. Um, I was smoking a lot of pot when, when she came around and she's named after marijuana. And like, I feel like she channeled herself into me this idea that she's extraterrestrial and she landed on earth and, um, and she sort of absorbed what was going on. And she saw like billboards with the sexy lady and she was like, well, I, I have to be that. So I'm going to make myself that. And she's, but, but she sees it through her alien eyes. So it's kind of off. And, but she believes that. I also kind of hate saying that she's sexy when it's somebody with like done hair and like covered in makeup. That unfortunately is sexy. I don't feel sexy when I'm in that though. Cause it's like, like I've never had sex and drag because there's too much stuff glued to me. You don't feel sexy as a woman, though? I uh, I feel, you know, powerful and I feel pretty. Sexy, though, I don't know. It's gross. There's glue all over me. I have shit glue to my fingers and my eyes and my face is covered in stuff and my hair is glued on and my body is all fake. Everything's fake. So, no, I don't feel, I don't feel sexy in it. Not to ask the hacky question, but then, like, when do you feel sexy? When I'm naked. Clothes are my enemy. (laughs) You are a nudist. I am such a nudist. I'm such a naturalist and such a nudist. We just went to, um, we went to this place, and I'm not even going to talk about it because I don't want it to get too popular and then people start going there. But we went to this place and recently, and it was like a clothing optional sort of gig, and... And I felt just really rejuvenated and I carried it back with me. Like, and, and drag does the same sort of thing. It sort of tells you like, we aren't the clothes that we're wearing. That's not, that's not us. And we're like this squishy human thing underneath all of that. It was very liberating for me. And like, I'm going to throw around life changing again. <laughs> I'm throwing it around today. <laughs> 
So this book you read, this nudist beach, what other life-changing moments? Oh, well, there was the the talk with Michelle Visage. And that was right around, I had just done season five. And I was, I was the party girl, really feeling my oats, really throwing my name around. And she was like, listen, if you get a reputation for being a bitch and being demanding and being crazy and being a party girl. This is going to last for a few more months. And then that will be that you, you are creating relationships with everyone you're working with now. And you need to keep that in mind because that's going to give you longevity as if you have good relationships. So that was like a huge turning point. Drag is more lucrative than ever. Do you worry about money? Well, I come from Erie, Pennsylvania, and we were very much like a working class family. Dad worked in the machine shop, and um, we we were poor, and we knew that. I my parents were like magicians because they always made it. You know, Christmases were always lovely, and we always had meals, and we always had clothes, and so like there. I mean, they did a great job, but we always had the knowledge that money was not just free flowing. Um, I it it changes when you know you're on a TV show and like there's no model for it. I don't know. I don't know if it. Like, what if Drag Race got canceled? Would we all just, would we all kind of be out of job all of a sudden? Or would it taper off? Or I, I don't know. So I'm just trying to be, like, wise and, like, like save. I pay my taxes. And um, I also like to invest in the drag economy. So, like, I always pay people if they make stuff for me. With us talking about how there is not really a roadmap for drag queens in terms of Mm. careers, what would be best case scenario for you? I'm living it. I mean, are you kidding? I'm, I'm a drag queen who gets to do drag for a living. Like, that's crazy. It's crazy. It defies all logic. It makes no sense. I'm so grateful that this all happened when it did in my life. And like, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's a miracle. What what do you mean when it did in your life? It's all just it's a ridiculous miracle. The, they wanted me on season 1 of Drag Race and I was so horrible in the interview that it didn't happen. So if that didn't happen, then I wouldn't have gone on season 5 and then I wouldn't have gone on All Stars and then I wouldn't be where I am now. So like I don't know. It's crazy. And part of that is that you've become very recognizable for your voice. Yeah. I'm sure you get like recognized out and about from it, right? Usually when I talk, usually when I open my mouth. Have you always liked your voice? Uh, No. When I was young, I thought I was too feminine. And so I wanted my voice to be more masculine. And, uh, then it was like I was taking voice lessons and I was I really wanted to be a tenor because all the music is in tenor. All the good music is in tenor range. But like I can't I can't I can't get up there really. So but now like no, I like it. I asked because I think it's such like a 
typical gay experience to hate your voice. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I should wonder when did you begin to like it? I think it was after season five when when people started like imitating me a little bit. And then I was like, well, uh, I could either get really upset about it or I could just steal it and make it my own. So I sort of started imitating myself too. And then the, the snake ate its own tail. And then I don't know. <laughs> oh, then you are like doing imitations of yourself, but as yourself. <laughs> well, it's sort of, I think it's like a Southern accent, which I, from what I've heard, but like, Sometimes you can like turn it up a little bit, like oh my god, <laughs> you could I get like I know I recognize what it is now, and so you can like turn it on or turn it off or turn it up. That is so funny. Has your drag changed at all now that we're under this like new administration? I don't know. I didn't. I don't know if it like made you like want to be more political or address more things. Well, I mean, drag is really political and it's crazy because we live in this, in the drag bubble where it's not really shocking anymore to us because we see queens everywhere all the time. We love them. We we go to a convention where everyone's in drag and it's drag con. So it's like, it used to be like the act of dressing up like a woman was really like scary and confronting and dangerous. Now it's sort of like, I think we should keep pushing it into places where it doesn't, where it isn't safe and it isn't just at home. So, um, Oh, because the mainstreaming of it has depoliticized it in a way. Well, no, it's still political. Okay. We just have to keep pushing it even further so that it gets into people's house. I mean, that's, that's political that, you know, the young girls watching the show and loving it are watching it on the TVs of their parents who are in rural areas who, I mean, who are really red state areas. So, like, that is political. Like, we're getting in there. And I think we should keep going. And I think, too, with more people, it just creates more people doing it. Like, didn't drag used to be this thing where you would do it as a hobby on the weekends and, like, not tell your mom about it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you read my journal? How did you know? Yeah, it's a repair. Yeah. And so, like, it is exciting that it is something that more people feel comfortable doing. Yeah. Even if you do it just for a party, there's still, you get to experience the transformation that happens and the different, like, colors and shades that come out. What percentage of your audiences are queer? Jeez, I don't know. Do you know? Um, I don't know. I just wonder with the mainstreaming of it, if you're performing to a lot of like straight audiences. Well, I think the growing audience is young girls. And I don't know that they identify as queer. I think they're still figuring out their identity. You're performing to them like pre-sexuality almost. They're that young? Well... I think there's still like in the in those in the age group where you're figuring yourself out, but they see dragon, they like it, they recognize good shit when it's good shit, and so they they go, yeah, that. So whether I don't know whether that has to do with whether they're queer or not, I think they're just smart. <laughs> they like it. I think too, we're also like making people very good critics because they're being exposed to it on TV all the time. Yeah. We are almost out of time, but tell me this. What drag queens what drag queens are out there that deserve more attention? Like, who do we need to pay ten, better attention to? 
Um, Jackie Beat, I worship. Jackie Beat has one of the best voices I've ever heard. Yeah, she's extremely talented. Her writing is hilarious. And if you've ever gone to the Haters Roast, most of the jokes are written by her. So when you're laughing, remember to pay respect. Um, uh, Coco Peru is so incredible and such a legend. I I mean, I love what Peaches Christ is doing in San Francisco. I love what Heclina has done and is doing. So basically, it's like it's like the the people who have laid the bricks in the ground for us to walk this road and this path. Yeah, you named all people who are like hustlers too. So they work so hard, and they worked really hard when it wasn't easy, when there wasn't internet. They were still doing. They were still doing it. Beaches Christ has been doing touring shows for like decades. Yeah. I, I think that I've always thought that drag queens are the hardest working people in show business, too. I agree. I like that. Well, thank you for being here and doing this. Thank you. What a lovely, like, engaging, wonderful conversation. Thank you. And that's our show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the podcast. We have new interviews with the most interesting and influential members of the LGBTQ community every week. And if you want to see us live in our gaming New Orleans, we will be there for Southern Decadence, their big Pride Festival. We're doing a live show on Saturday, September 1st at 6 p.m. I hope to see you there. There is more info about that in the show notes. And then two, I want to say that with the midterms coming up, GLAAD is here to help you amp your voice. GLAAD is making it easier than ever to access the tools you need to vote and to speak out on the issues that really matter. So to learn more and make sure your voice is heard, go to glad.org slash amp your voice. That's glad.org org slash amp your voice. We are broadcasting from the Advocate Magazine studios in Los Angeles. The Advocate is the longest running LGBT news magazine in the country. They were founded in 1967. Special thanks to them, to our partners at Panoply, to our old home after Buzz TV, Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>